Hello, this is Dan Bender, executive producer of the Singles Podcasting Network. Today, I'm excited to present Single Living, a podcast that brings you straight talk on everything that concerns today's singles, including relationships, dating, travel, and financial security. Single Living is hosted by Rich Goss, a well-respected expert in the singles industry. He is the author of eight books on dating and has lectured on the subject in over 50 colleges and universities. Rich is frequently interviewed by the news media, including Oprah, CNN, Fox News, and the Wall Street Journal, to name just a few. And now, here's the host of Single Living, Rich Goss. My guest today is Allie Ox, a relationship coach in Canada. She is the author of Fit to Love. Her entertaining advice has been featured by Single Again Magazine, Cosmopolitan UK, The Calgary Herald, The Philadelphia Daily News, and many more. Welcome, Allie. Welcome, Rich. It is good to be here. Yes, and where in Canada are you located? I'm in St. Catharines, which is close to Niagara Falls. Uh Aha, I've been there before. Beautiful spot. Yes. It's very energizing to be near the falls. Yes. And Are You Fit to Love is the title of your book, and what does that title mean? What it means is being fit to love is based on three principles. Number one, mutual respect. Number two, moral responsibility. And number three, authenticity. And going back to mutual respect, it's pretty obvious what that is, but maybe you could elaborate a little bit. Actually, Rich, you know what? For some people, it isn't obvious. (laughs) Yes. Mutual respect means... Others are just as important as you are. And when we take that back into a relationship, it means your partner is just as important as you are. Yet most people in our society practice self-serving mutual respect. They're only respecting their partners to the point of what they can get out of it themselves. Yes. And then moral responsibility. Again, that's a pretty obvious thing, but uh, what does that principle mean in your book, Fit to Love? It means that we are morally responsible to those with whom we have relationships. And today in our society, most of us no longer feel morally responsible for our partners. For instance, um, how many times have we heard, you are responsible for your own happiness? You've heard it, yes. haven't you? Yes. All the time. Right. And we buy into it. We accept it. Of course I am. But it isn't true because... When we are in a relationship, we are also morally responsible for each other's well-being, emotional well-being. And we've all been in relationships, and we all know that we have the power to make each other feel miserable or lousy. Do you agree with that? Exactly. And then the last principle, of course, is the authentic self. And what does that mean? That's actually pretty scary because (laughs) (laughs) it takes courage to be your authentic self, doesn't it? Definitely. And when we are in a relationship, and as a matter of fact that, you know, it spreads over our entire lives, when we're not real, we cannot connect to others in a meaningful way. So in other words, to be loved, others need to know us the way we know ourselves. It takes a lot of courage. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and your book, Are You Fit to Love? You know, there's been so many books written on male-female relationships. How would you say your book is different from all the rest? I think it is different in such a way that these principles, once the three principles we were talking about, mutual respect, moral responsibility, 
and the authentic self. Once these principles are understood in their fundamental ways, they are timeless, which means they don't fit into the category of the latest dating advice, you know. They are timeless. They, will, they are as true today as they will be in 20 years. Hopefully. So, yeah, so maybe I can never write another book. Huh, I don't believe that. <laughs> no, you can always write the sequel or you can always put out the new edition because uh, as an author of eight books for singles, I'm constantly having to update my books because everything changes all the time in the dating and singles world. Yes, it does, indeed. And as an expert on relationships, Allie, why did you write Are You Fit to Love? Based on my personal experience, and I had a, a very wild growing up time. Yes. My parents divorced. My grandmother was next in line, then my aunt, my uncle, my older brother, then it was my turn, then it was my younger brother. That doesn't even include all my friends who were divorced. And I was constantly wanting to figure out what is it that makes people succeed in relationships. And as I was younger, I think it came more from a point of um, not feeling very confident about myself because I was very neglected throughout my upbringing. So the, the idea of being loved from somebody by the opposite sex was very appealing. Yes. So then, after having been through all my personal experiences, then I had my own divorce, then I had some roller coaster relationships. Then I started to work for Together. I'm not sure whether you ever heard of them. Yes, I remember Together, a giant matchmaking outfit with 140 offices all over the world. And they eventually were bought out, by the way, by the right one. And they're still going strong. Uh, they're based now in Massachusetts. Yeah, the idea was great. I mean, their idea was great. There was just a lot of corruption in the company, but that's a whole other issue. Yeah, we, we, we don't even want to open up that Pandora's no. box, but uh, for, for those of our listeners that don't know, Together was uh, the world's largest matchmaking company uh, for many, many years with so many offices around the world, and unfortunately, it came crashing down, and uh, as I say, they were acquired by the right one, and uh, hopefully uh, the scandals of the past will be forgotten, and they can open up a whole new chapter in dating history. Oh, I think a company like that is needed. I started to work for them in the Southwestern Ontario Division, six yes. offices, and I was doing relationship counseling. Then it was called counseling. The coaching idea wasn't born until later. Yes, and, and what is the difference, Allie, between relationship counseling and relationship coaching? To me, like the relationship counseling focuses on all the issues in the past, and uh, coaching, which is what I do, is from here on forward. We can never make a better past, so let's move on from here forward with some practical advice. So going back when I was working uh, for Together, can you imagine what it was like to counsel disillusioned singles all day? Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I, I know what you're talking about here, Allie, because I think one of the biggest mistakes that single people make when they start dating again after the breakup of a relationship or divorce or whatever is it seems like they spend the entire first date uh, talking about their ex and how horrible that person was. And, of course, that creates just an awful impression with your date. They're thinking, gee, if this person is still you know, so angry towards the opposite sex, mm -hmm. maybe they'll be angry towards me. And that's one of the first pieces of advice that I give people when they're on a first date. In fact, probably you could say for the first month of 
updates. You never want to talk about your ex. You don't want to stir that up again because all you do is bring back all that animosity and it prevents you from connecting with somebody new. You're very right. I, I also found that in a lot of these cases when they were holding grudges against their exes, an inability of these singles to take responsibility for their own lives, for their own dating experience. Yes. So I was counseling singles and found that, you know, in spite of all the dating mechanism and dating companies that singles have available to them, there was something fundamental underneath that prohibited singles from actually landing long-lasting relationships. And what was that, Allie? Those three principles. Yes. They weren't fit to love. But I didn't find that until later when I studied psychology and sociology. I don't want to mislead your audience. I do not have a degree, but I studied psychology and sociology for two years full time Yes. at the University of Western Ontario in London. And I also did relationship research. And what I was looking for were couples who, by way of self-report, were in exceptional relationships, you know, that had these emotional, mental, intimate closeness that knew they belonged together no matter what. So these were the couples that I was after and that I was interviewing, trying to find out what is it that makes their relationships last. <laughs> and they were not the most beautiful people to look at, you know, they're not the most attractive, not the slimmest. They were just average, wonderful people. So you don't have to be good-looking and trim in order to have a great relationship. No, it's such a misconception because the most sex appeal, if you will, comes from a person who is authentic and confident within themselves, regardless of the shape, size, age. So you found out, Allie, then that these happy couples that you interviewed were uh, the kind of people that had a great sex life despite the fact that uh, other people might not have found them to be physically attractive. That's right, because they had a mental and emotional intimacy. They were truly connected and they were authentic. They were morally responsible for one another and they were mutually respectful. And why do you think, Ali, it's so difficult for singles to find love today? And, and do you think it's more difficult to find love today than, let's say, 50 years ago? Uh, no, it isn't. It wouldn't be if we had a little attitude adjustment. Okay. <laughs> I think it is so difficult for singles because we as singles, well, I'm not single anymore, but I still like you. I still, my heart is very much into it. And it's a way of self-absorption. Singles have become so self-absorbed and, you know, there's so much ad relationship advice as to, you know, how to date, whom to date, how to make your list of the things that you want and to never settle for anything less, Yes. what to look like. I mean, it is all so superficial. Yes. And what singles are missing in their search for love, which is the most important of all character. You want character. You want a person that has integrity, that has a great character, that stands for something. But no, instead of what I find, and I find this with, you know, when you look at all the um, internet dating companies, it's yes. looks, looks, looks. Yes. Looks don't last. Well, there you go. But let's let's be honest here. I mean, 
all throughout history, people have selected their romantic partners, at least initially, on the basis of looks. I mean, if you walk into a party or if you're out at a church picnic or whatever, the first thing that you see about a person is their physical appearance. You can't see their heart of gold. So how do we break through all of this superficial attraction? By not having an agenda when you date a person. When you go out on the first date, yes, all the safety principles apply, of course. But I think your mental mindset should be to not have an agenda, to just explore that person and not be judgmental and see what you find underneath. I think that's the hardest thing in the world, Allie, to be non-judgmental. I think, uh, as you've pointed out, we're very judgmental with our eyes the first time we see somebody. We all have this fantasy person in our mind of the person that we want to spend the rest of our lives with. And chances are that person looks a lot like Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie rather than like a normal human being. Right. And social forces influence us to look in that direction, unfortunately. But we're paying a big price, you know, because... More singles than ever are alone. And I'm not saying that being being single has a stigma. I think for some people it really works for the yes. time for the time being or at a certain point in their lives. Well, you know, I, I hate to be pessimistic, Ali, but I sometimes come to the conclusion that there are millions of people out there that really don't have the relationship skills out there and they really would be better off not dating at all. Yes, I agree. But I also say and I may say that with a little bit of arrogance if they would read my book, <laughs> they would get a different perspective of what relationships really are about. And they are definitely not about looks. Yes, as you said, when we meet somebody, you know, we're drawn to the looks. And then there's the whole idea of chemistry. I mean, I'm sure you've heard that from singles. Well, I have to have chemistry, right? Well, don't you have to have chemistry, Ali? Is it possible to have a, a, a good relationship starting off with a lack of uh, mutual attraction? Uh, yes, you'll be surprised. <laughs> really? <laughs> think about, yeah, think about this, Rich. How often have we been involved? I mean, I can say this about myself. I have, you know, where I was like all gung-ho over this guy because there was like sparks were flying. There was so much chemistry. It was wonderful. Yes. But... As soon as the true character emerged, and it wasn't a solid character, do you know how fast the chemistry fades? Yes. And the opposite is true. I have gone on, on dates or had friendships with men that I had absolutely no chemistry with. None. But as I got to know them, and as I experienced their true character, the chemistry emerged. Yes. Now, I have a phrase for this, Allie, because I've had the same experience, and I call this the personality shining through, where you initially see somebody and you're attracted or not attracted to them 100% on the basis of the visual cues, but then as their personality starts shining through, they either become more attractive physically or mm -hmm. less attractive physically just because of that personality. That's right. Exactly. You know, Allie, we have more dating and relationship advice today than ever. So why is it that most singles have difficulty making the transition from dating to relationship? Fear of commitment. It's a big reason. And it's the idea, you know, because we're so programmed that we deserve the best. And because of this programming, when we date in the back of our mind, we seem to look over our shoulder wondering whether there wouldn't be anything better out there. So, you know, if I'm settling for this blonde, gorgeous woman here, maybe there might be one who's, who is even more attractive or smarter or brighter. You know, is there something better? 
And unfortunately, realistically speaking, with over a billion single people in the world to choose from, there probably is somebody better looking or more intelligent or more authentic or better sense of humor out there. I mean, there's got to be with a billion other choices out there. So it kind of sounds like uh, we have so many choices, we wind up ending up with nobody. That's right. We keep going and going because there might be something better. Right. That's the one reason. The other reason is that a lot of the dating advice out there, there's a lot of good advice. But I think we should ignore a lot of it. That's my opinion. Can you be a little more specific there, Allie? No, no problem with you attacking other books out there by so-called relationship experts. What do you see as being bad out there in terms of dating advice? It flies in the face of authenticity because we're being sort of coaxed into staged behavior, scripted interaction, you know, what to say, what to wear, what not to say, it's saying you can't be yourself. But lately, there's been more information on dating advice out there that actually fosters the idea just to be yourself, which is good. But I think we have become impressionists, like we want to make a big impression on our date. And then in particular, if we meet somebody whom we really like and there's chemistry, then the next time we see this person, we want to impress them even more. Yet, unfortunately, we can't keep it up. So eventually, the facade comes down and we become more what we really are. And then things change because all of a sudden, the person we have portrayed to our date is no longer who we are. Right, and then we have to adjust to a new relationship between the two authentic people, and a lot of people don't make that transition yes. from the person who's in a dating relationship who's trying to put their best foot forward, and then make the transition from that into a real relationship where both people take off the masks and they suddenly discover that they really don't like each other very much. Right, and there, as I said before, there's, there's the fear of commitment, but there's also the fear of, oh my God, if now I want to share my bathroom and my bed with this person, I have to show my real self. But a lot of people yes. don't like their real self because they think it's not good enough for the other person. If I show my real self, this person will no longer be impressed and I will lose this person. So then the facade continues even after marriage. People still have the masks on and then yeah. 10, 20 years down the line, they finally get tired of all the play acting, take off their masks and suddenly get dumped. That's right. What a waste. Like What a waste of good energy. What, what a waste of time. Yes. You know, we were talking about online dating a few minutes ago. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the recent surveys that have been conducted by these companies? Yes, they were very uh, interesting in that there's a growing frustration among singles on the Internet, and um, that has to do with misrepresentation. I mean, there are like tons of singles out there that, that say, oh, well, everybody on the Internet you know, is misrepresenting themselves. They show pictures where, where like, they're five years younger. Uh, At least. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> five years younger and 50 pounds lighter. I was going to say that. You go 50. I'm, I, was, I was saying 20, but anyway. Right. So a misrepresentation in order to land a date. So, you know, this being not authentic happens over the internet too and and i mean this is hardly news we all know that right but that has also bred a growing resentment a frustration with internet dating companies and internet dating companies are having conventions and what have you trying to figure out how they could better serve and how they could make it more personal how they could avoid some of these pitfalls 
Also, the question, uh, should they be allowed to do background checks on people? You know, like find out, is this a, a criminal or isn't it? Yes. But whatever these companies will do, they cannot overcome the fact that singles misrepresent themselves in order to land a date. I mean, you cannot hold an Internet company responsible for that. How? Yes. Well, you know, it's always been there. People have always uh, tried to put their best foot forward. I mean, let's face it, a lot of guys will wear the kind of clothing that will make them look slimmer or more successful, you know, cover up that pot belly. The women have the special bras, the push-up bras that make yep. them look a lot better than they really are. That's right. Air-filled, water-filled. You can have them water-filled now, too. Did you know that? Well, I did not know that, but I don't <laughs> I even know if we want to. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if we want to get into that. But obviously, there's liposuction out there, and there's so many things that people are doing now to alter their physical appearance. And I really don't see that trend changing. I think we're just going to have to survive that trend and still try to have good dating relationships. Yeah, or, or adding eight inches to your height by wearing <laughs> heels, and it kills your feet. Well, there you go. I mean, women have learned over the years that by putting on a, a pair of high heels, so she can look ten or twenty pounds slimmer. Because yes. all of a sudden, instead of being five foot three, she's now five foot eight, and all of a sudden, it looks like she's lost thirty pounds. Yes, there's one thing in the dating that hasn't changed. I mean, a lot has changed in the way men and women relate to one another. A lot has changed. There are quite a few older women who look very attractive, and younger men are interested in them so that has changed yes and but the one thing that hasn't changed rich is the man who's uh, five foot ten overweight and bald he still wants to date barbie well exactly you know the phrase i like to use is that nobody wants to date somebody as unattractive as they are right every everybody wants somebody they don't deserve you know so the person who's physically unattractive doesn't want to date somebody physically unattractive no and the person who's unemployed doesn't want to date somebody unemployed you know, everybody wants to meet somebody who's beautiful and, and famous and wealthy and has the most marvelous sense of humor even though we might be the most boring persons ourselves that's right everybody's looking for their peacock among the feather dusters you know that <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think that will uh, ever change unless people you know, look deep down inside as to what it is that they really want. Do they want a person with whom to share their lives and be best friends and have an exceptional relationship? Or are they going after the superficial things and the number of singles in this country will increase? And I'm not saying they'll be unhappy. Absolutely not. But I think that a lot of singles, even though there's a part of single life that they do enjoy, but a lot of singles are looking for a relationship and they want to be loved just like we all do that's still the fundamental what about sex when dating what advice do you have for the singles out there regarding sex <laughs> I found that some singles actually believe they have to check out what the person is like in bed before they actually get to know the person's character and they sleep with people whom they are not even willing to introduce to their parents <laughs> which is amazing yeah and I think that there is a difference between having sex and making love. Having sex is about you. Making love is about the two of you. Yes. I don't think you can make love to a person whom you hardly know. So yes. I think you should just keep your pants on. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that way, you're like getting to know this person when there's no sex involved yes. is a lot truer than it would be if, sex clouds your judgment as it always does you know if somebody's good in bed 
then, you know, we hang in there a lot longer and forgive them awful, obnoxious behavior just because they're good <laughs> in bed, right? And, and just because they're a good showpiece, you can take them out in public and show them off. Yeah, it makes you look good. Inflates, right. inflates your ego. Right. I, I think a lot of dating really revolves around ego rather than the desire to make uh, intimate contact with another human being. So we'll have to re-educate singles. And what's the one last piece of advice that you can offer singles who are serious about finding true love? To build the character within themselves that is required to have a meaningful and exceptional relationship. In other words, become the person you like to date. And how can people contact you and order your book, Are You Fit to Love? Uh, they can go to my website, www.fit2love, whereby the two is numerical to. Yes. Fittolove.com. And they can order my book. I also offer a one-time, no-cost relationship advice, dating advice, via email. So I invite everyone to go and visit my website. Excellent. I'd like to thank my guest, Ali Ox. Single Living is a production of the Singles Podcasting Network in San Rafael, California. If you have any comments or suggestions about Single Living, feel free to email us at comments at singlespodcastingnetwork.com. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, this is your host, Rich Goss. Oh, 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 oh,